0: Be a disciple. And if we were to fast forward in this gospel into the narrative in Matthew 23, we would see Jesus using strong confrontational language towards the hypocrites. Over and over again, about seven times, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And what he's doing is he's calling out the religious elite of his day. He's calling them hypocrites. This idea of hypocrites originally referred to Greek actors who would and and would wear different masks to play various different roles. They were actors. They were playing a part. They were performing for others. And friends, if we're honest, so do we. How many of you, by a raise of a hand, we'll see how honest this place is, how many of you would identify with, yeah, at some point in my life I've felt like a hypocrite? Okay, so 80%, which is good. About 20% are liars or just unselfaware, that's fine. Um, <laughs> but, but the reality is, is that we've all felt that. We've all felt that sense of pretending, that sense of putting on a mask or putting forth an image for other people. And what Jesus is saying this morning is, don't be like the hypocrites, rather Be a disciple. As you've been studying through the Sermon on the Mount, we see that Jesus is defining for us what life looks like in the kingdom of God. What it looks like to be his disciple. What it means to be a follower. To walk in his ways. To live for his purposes and for his glory. And what we see in our text today is this. The movement from hypocrisy to discipleship requires both self-awareness and self-forgetfulness. And I'll repeat that again for you. The movement from hypocrisy to discipleship requires both self-awareness and self-forgetfulness. So if we're to grow as a disciple of Jesus, we must grow in our self-awareness. Three particular ways uh, that we need to grow in self-awareness are three particular things we need to be aware of. Here's the first one. You want to be right. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven you want to be right. You don't want to be wrong. You want to be good, not bad. That's true for all of us. And for some of us, that's more true uh, than others. Uh, You see the world as black and white. Uh, Perhaps there's not much gray. Things are either good or bad, right or wrong. And as you look out at the world, and as you look at yourself, you want to be right. How many of you uh, by raise of a hand, when you're working on a project at home or at work and, and something gets to be about 97% complete, at that moment we'll step back and say, yeah, that's, that's pretty good. I think we're ready to move on. We can go on to something else. How many of you are like that? Right? That's me. Now, how many of you are like my wife, where when you look at a project and it's 97% complete, you are um, so focused on the 3% that's not done yet? Because it's, it, we're not done. We're not complete. It's not right. It's not excellent. It's not perfect. right? Those of you really want things to be right. Uh, you look out into the world and, and you see that the world is broken and you want to make it right. But that's not only true as you look out into the world. That's true as you look into your own heart. You want yourself to be right. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're very easily haunted by the reality that we're not good enough. You don't feel like you measure up. You feel like you could be doing more, you could be trying harder, you could be doing better. You're just not quite right. So in all of us, there's this desire to be right or to be righteous. And Jesus in this passage is addressing three, three good, righteous behaviors. giving, Praying, fasting, these are are good things, and these are things that people would do to help them to feel right. So let me ask you, what do you count on to make you right or righteous? What do you count on to give you a sense of good standing amongst others? What do you count on to give you a sense of validation or personal credibility? Your answers to these questions will often reveal where it is that you're finding your righteousness. It may be religious righteousness, it may be what Jesus is attacking here in the text. This is what it might, this is what it might sound like to you uh, I pray, uh, I give, I show up, I lead, I'm faithful, I serve, I'm right. For others of you, it might look more like job righteousness. I work hard. I provide. I have a cool job. I'm an entrepreneur. It reminds me of my, so my dad. When I was about 10 years old, uh, he started his own company. It was a lawn care company. It was him and his truck. And he worked for 30 years to provide for a family of five just doing lawn care. Um, and to be honest with you, the first 25 years uh, of him doing that job, I very rarely talked about him doing that job. Um, but then I entered into a circle where this idea of being an entrepreneur was cool and starting your own business was cool. And I can't tell you how often I'll say, yeah, my dad, my dad did that. My dad started his own business through his own blood, sweat, and tears, provided for a family of five. Yeah, he's, you know, right? For me, that, that's an idea of righteousness, and it's easy for me to want to hold up my dad as being right when I'm thinking in those terms. How about family righteousness? Because I do the right things as a parent, I'm more godly than those parents whose kids are out of control. Intellectual righteousness. I'm smarter than other people. I've obtained a higher education. I've got multiple degrees and certifications on my walls. I've studied God's word far more than other people have. Therefore, I'm right. I'm good. So what do you count on to give you a sense of? Of righteousness, Whatever it is for you, I'm, I just want you to be aware that inside of you is a desire to be right. The second area of self-awareness that we can take away from this passage is that you want to be seen. We already read it. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen. Verse 2, it says, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Uh, that reminds me of um, down the street from where I work on 33rd in California, there's this really nice restaurant called Cali Taco. I love a number of things about this restaurant. Let, not, I mean, the burritos are fantastic. The enchiladas are fantastic. But one of the things that really draws me in as I go to Cali Taco is that when I'm going through the line and when I order, after I pay, there's a tip jar. And right above that tip jar is a bell. And I love what they do because every time I go there, like, I'm excited to give a tip. Because when I give a tip, they ring that bell. And all the workers in the back just shout out, thank you. One time recently, I was there, and I, and I, I gave a decent tip, and, and they forgot to ring the bell. And I stood there and waited. Eventually, they rung the bell. I got my own personal satisfaction. But there's this desire to be seen You can see it here in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Let's be honest. You want to be seen. And this shouldn't come as a surprise to you. It's okay. It's part of what it means to be a human being. You were created in the image of God with inherent worth and value and significance. And there's something in you that longs for that reality to be recognized. Some of you really want to be seen. One of your greatest fears is going unnoticed having no significance in the world. Being invisible, being looked over by people, creates an overwhelming sense of anxiety in you. But we all want to be seen. I remember my, um, I don't know if I'd call it like a fantastic baseball career, but I played a few years of baseball in high school. Um, And like I'd already mentioned, my dad worked in lawn care. So the summers were really busy for him. He was pretty full. And I remember my freshman year of baseball, um, at my games, my parents were very rarely there. Right? And, and my dad was busy working, my, my younger brother played you know youth sports as well, so they just weren't that present. My sophomore year uh, playing baseball that summer, my parents committed to being present. Like they really went out of their way to be on the sidelines in the stands watching. And there's something that happens when you're seen. There's a confidence that happens that just kind of comes up within you when you're seen by others. My junior year, I met a girl, got, lost my focus, got cut from the baseball team. We won't talk any more about that. But what I'm trying to communicate is that in us is this desire to be seen. And let's be honest, this desire is only exponentially increased by the presence of social media. Right? Like, it, it's just avenues to be seen by other people. I was at a coffee shop recently, and um, I'd been, I was working, and, and I, one of the privileges of being in pastoral ministry is you can just go to coffee shops and work for a while, and it's justified. Um, and I was there, and, and I, I remember seeing this guy, he came in, he ordered a coffee, and he sat down, and, and, and he grabbed his coffee, and he sat it down on the table, and he grabbed this book, and he opened up this book, and then he pulled out his phone, and, and he was trying to get the right picture, right, of the coffee and the book, and you know, prob- probably just wanting to Posted out on Instagram so other people could see what he was doing. And I was like, man, what vanity. What vanity. I remember as I was walking out, I walked past and I kind of looked at the book and it was John Calvin's Institutes. (laughs) I laughed at myself. I was like, I've done that before. I've done that exact same thing with that book and probably coffee. There's something in us that wants to be seen. How do you want to be seen? Scroll through your Instagram feed or Facebook feed or Twitter feed this afternoon. Simply ask yourself this question as you're doing so. What image am I portraying to a watching world? So we want to be right. We want to be seen. The third area of self-awareness we can glean from this passage is that you want to be rewarded. Verse 2. The second half, it says, Truly I say to you, then they have received their reward. Verse 5, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. They do this. And then he closes it by saying, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Verse 16, and when you fast, don't do it like the hypocrites do. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. We all want to be rewarded. All of us. Right? That's, why, that's why they created youth participation trophies. Because they know all kids want to be rewarded. All parents want to be rewarded. All people want to be rewarded. But what's the reward that they're talking about in these passages? What is Jesus hinting at? The reward is approval. The reward is this fleeting, public acclaim, that lasts about as long as mist in the air. We want to do right. We want what we're doing to be seen by others so that we can merit their approval. But you all know that when you're resting in and you're trying to find approval from other people around you, it lasts about that long. And it's gone, and you're back, right? Right? Trying to earn it again. Whose approval are you seeking? Whose approval above any others has the power to make or break your day? You see, moving from hypocrisy to discipleship requires both self awareness and self forgetfulness. And I love this part because this is when Jesus moves from being the preacher of the sermon to the point of the sermon. So here's what I mean. Um, Your desire to be right, your desire to be seen, your desire to be rewarded are not inherently bad things. They're a byproduct of what it means to be a human being. But when we look to others around us, When we look to those around us to satisfy those desires, what results is pride, envy, judgment, comparison, selfishness, gossip, sin. You see, because for you to be right and for you to be seen and for you to be rewarded means that you have to highlight your strengths and expose other people's weaknesses this is why growing and maturing as a disciple of christ requires self-awareness of these realities and self-forgetfulness we need to find a way to forget about these inherent longings that we have and and here's the catch try to reject your desire to be right Try to reject or to suppress this desire to be seen. Try to to push down this desire to be rewarded. Try to reject what is truly deep inside of you. You can't do it. It's part of who you are. It's part of what it means to be created in the image of God. So the only way to forget these desires is to have them fully satisfied by someone else. This is what we see in in, in verse 8. When talking about praying, Jesus says, For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. You need to be right. Jesus has made you right in Him. Right, this was the insurance of pardon that, that Ian read uh, in our liturgy, where he highlighted Second Corinthians 5.21, and he said, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, united with Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. This is the idea of Passive righteousness that Jesus fully obeyed, did everything right throughout his life. And on the cross of Jesus Christ, he took our sin upon himself and he gifted to us his righteousness so that we can receive a passive righteousness from Christ that satisfies that desire to be right. This is what Martin Luther called the great exchange. right The idea that our sin has been exchanged with his righteousness and we are now made right with God. You want to be seen. See, in Christ, God has adopted you into his family. He has become your father. He sees you. He knows you. And he doesn't just see you, like he really, really sees you. Like he knows the count of every hair that is on your head and for some of you, the hair that used to be on your head. He has that knowledge of who you are. He says says in the text, when you give, give in secret, and your father will see you in secret. When you pray, go off into your room and pray in secret, your father sees you in secret. When you fast, do so in secret, and your father sees in secret. All of life, all of life is lived before the face of God. God doesn't face our own restrictions. He doesn't need to follow you on Instagram to be able to see what's going on in your world. He has all access, unlimited access to your life to where he sees everything that you do in public and everything that you do in private. And the reality is is that if you're not fully resting in the righteousness of Christ, that reality is very haunting. Like he knows everything that you do in secret. And at the same time, it's also super liberating because we don't need to go out amongst other people to act righteous, to practice righteousness, to perform righteousness. We don't have to pretend. We can actually cultivate a quiet inner life of righteousness that is seen because the Father has the capacity to see into secret. You want to be rewarded. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. He says that three different times in this passage for each of those different disciplines. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What is the reward? Ultimate, eternal acceptance. Unchanging, unwavering acceptance by your Heavenly Father. That's the gift that that comes with being united with Christ, with being adopted into God's family, that the king of the universe accepts you, and there's nothing that you can do about it if he he has saved you, if he has redeemed you, if he has made you his. There's nothing that you could do to undo that. I love the reality that every sin that we've ever committed has always, since the point of, of Calvary, when that great exchange happened, every sin was a future sin. So there's nothing that you can do in the future to undo God's love and acceptance for you. That's the beauty and the depth of being united with Christ. And when this happens, within an entire church community, something beautiful Comes forth. We, we have this desire to be right. We have this desire to be seen. We have this desire to be rewarded. And when the redeemed people of God find all of that fully satisfied through the Father, it changes the way that we look. It changes the way that we interact with one another. When a people move from hypocrisy to genuine discipleship, they're set free from the traps of comparison. They're set free from the traps of one-upsmanship. And they're liberated to be able to become a healthy and strong and selfless, vibrant gospel community. And when when a people move from hypocrisy to genuine discipleship, they're set free from this need to be self-exalting to talk about themselves, to boast about themselves. Rather, they can move into a place where we say, hey, we boast no more other than in the name and the renown of our Savior, Jesus Christ. What would it look like for a people to, to no longer have to be boasting about their successes, but rather were set free and liberated to only exalt Christ? That's what we're invited into. That's what God invites us into. So First City Church, I'm going to close by praying that the Lord would do that work in you as a people. That not only individually, he would, he would move you from a place of hypocrisy into greater freedom and joy as a disciple. But then even as a community, it would change the fabric of our relationships. We'd be more genuine and authentic and real. The masks would come off, as Pastor Paul was saying, as he was setting up the pastoral prayer. And even as we, as we long to see miraculous things happen in our city through the gospel, uh, we'd be set free from needing to do that for our own name's sake, But we could do it for the name and the glory and the renown of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So let me pray for you.